you may be seated. Searched all over, couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low, still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater, nobody greater, nobody greater than you. Amen. That's all I'm going to sing. Amen. I sing too much. I figure out I really can't sing. Amen. We do thank God for being in your midst today, giving honor to God who is the head of all of our lives. Amen to your pastor, amen, my good friend, Pastor George Martin and Lady Toya in their absence. Amen, I just believe that his absence and you all continuing to carry on, amen, when you connect back together, there's going to be an explosion. You do know that there are some people, amen, that don't want to see this thing happen. But what God has, God has for this church. Amen. And we thank God that you are still supporting, amen, and laboring, amen, even in the absence of your pastor. We thank God for Pastor Bethea, amen, and Minister Beck and minister Thea, amen. Amen. I want to thank the Sanctuary Church, amen. Sister Teresa, amen. She has been on point, amen. Calling me, amen, saying she's part of the sabbatical team, amen. She called me to see if I need anything. One, one time I requested a million dollars. She told me I can't do that. Okay. Next time she called, I said, can I get a two-piece chicken? That's all I want to and I have two pieces of chicken when I get over there. Amen. But she has been wonderful. Amen. And we thank God for being here. I thank God for my church. Amen. Irvington First Baptist for being here in support. Amen. That we can join together and fellowship in the name of the Lord. Amen. Uh, I asked Pastor Bethea. What time do y'all normally get out of here? He said, Pastor Martin instructed him to give me as much time as I needed. Amen. And I ain't got nothing else to do today. Amen. So we might just be here all day. But I make a deal with you. If you at least give me your amens, amen, it'll get, get you up out of here a little quicker, amen. That one don't count. That one don't count, amen. But if I get three good amens, amen, I'll go ahead and shut it down. There's a word in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 16. The Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 16 beginning at verse 21. Once again, I want to thank you for your hospitality. You know, something that I learned is that people don't have to be nice. And then when they are nice, they don't have to be nice to you. Amen. So I thank God for all your kindness, 
not only to me, to even my church family. But the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 16, beginning at verse 21. Amen. There's a word. If it is your custom to stand, amen, for the reading, amen. We ask that you stand. If not, amen, whatever it is your custom do. I'm not come to change what you do, but there's a word. Everybody got it? The gospel according to St. Matthew's. Amen. Chapter 16, beginning at verse 21. For your listening, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Do me a favor before you take your seat. Look your neighbor in the eye and give him my sermon topic. Say, neighbor. Today's sermon topic is, this is what discipleship looks like. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. With the time that is ours to share, I want to talk, teach, and preach. I ask you to keep your Bibles open to make sure I am preaching from the Word of God from this subject. This is what discipleship looks like. One of the most memorable times in my life was when my wife and our son was born. But if you would allow me to go back to when I was growing up, because anybody who has more than one child understand that parenting can bring you gray hair faster than you want it to, will make your blood pressure rise higher than you need it to be. Uh, it would make you say some words you thought the Lord had delivered you from. Because anyone that has parented multiple children know that sibling rivals can get on your nerves. And if by chance you only have one child like me and my wife, you should be praising the Lord right about now. Because if you have more than one in the house, you know that they fight about everything. And I remember growing up and my older brother, who is roughly a year and a half older than me, but our younger brother was six years younger than me. And so my older brother, as big brothers do, he would always tease and taunt my younger brother. And he would get under his skin and get on his nerves. Because he knew just what buttons to push and to make my younger brother angry and to get upset. And so one day I decided that I'm going to teach my brother how to handle having a big brother that teases you and taunts you. So one day, Sanctuary Church, I pulled him to the side and I said, look, when nobody is looking, you're going to have to hit him. And so I tried to teach him uh, that sometimes uh, when older brothers are teasing you, you just have to learn to ignore them. Just don't say nothing. Don't reply. Just ignore them and they'll go away. 
And so one day I heard them downstairs getting into it where my older brother was trying to make my younger brother do his chores and an argument began to escalate. I yelled downstairs and to tell him, just ignore him. And so my mother overheard them and she started down the steps. And of course, I wanted to see how all of this was about to go down. So I followed behind my mother and they were yelling at one another and then the name calling started and my younger brother called my older brother a name that my mother did not appreciate and so she yelled and said hey don't use that language in my house and he turns around look at my mother and I guess he thought he was still talking to my brother and he said I wasn't talking to you now before you ask he's still alive <laughs> But it kind of caught me off guard because I couldn't believe that he would talk to mama like that and still be alive. And so she grabs him around his collar because this was going to be a teaching moment that you don't talk to me like that. And have you ever been shocked by somebody stepping out of their lane and talking to you in a way that you don't deserve and talk to you in a way that is disrespectful? You ever found somebody that you just talked to you and they're talking out of the side of their neck and you have to check yourself before you went off on general purposes then you understand or you ever felt the way that know exactly how Jesus felt when he was talking to Peter they had went to Caesarea Philippi and if you remember anything that is a critical moment with the disciples in the life of Jesus because just a few verses before what I read to you this morning in Caesarea Philippi and they asked the disciples Jesus asked these disciples two critical questions the first one he asked them is who do men say that I am and after sharing with Jesus some of the Gallipole reports uh, here they said that uh, some say that you are Elijah some say that you are John the Baptist others say that you are a prophet uh, Jesus then turns around and asked a more poignant question uh, but who do you say that I am because you see it is important for Jesus to ascertain uh, do these disciples get it yet do they know who I am uh, after everything they seen me do after all the miracles I've worked after all the parables I proclaim uh, do they finally understand who I am and so the Bible says that while this question is lingering in the atmosphere Peter the valedictorian of the discipleship Peter the class leader of the bunch raises his hand uh, and he says in that moment of divine revelations, Jesus, thou art the son of Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus is amazed at Peter's response. And he said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, that you got this from God, that you have a connection with God. And because of your connection with God and your confession of me as Christ, he said, thou art now Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on the earth, that will I also bind in the heavens. And this was a good day for old Peter. He has got divine revelation from the Lord. He confesses Jesus as his Lord and Savior and Jesus has now called Peter the rock and Jesus had made him the head of the new 
church. Jesus has given him authority on the earth. Jesus has now patted him on the back and this had been a good day for old Peter because he has confessed that Jesus is Christ. And if you notice in the life of Jesus that immediately after this confession the ministry of Jesus now drastically changes. From this moment on all the way to Jerusalem the only thing that Jesus now focuses on is preparing his disciples for his death and their assignment after his resurrection because if you read from chapter 16 on you will be surprised that there are no more public miracles, there's no more feeding of the hungry, there's no more giving sight to the blind, there's no more raising of the dead, there's no more walking on water. From this moment on, Jesus focused solely on his disciples, getting them ready for what is about to go down. And the first order of business that Jesus has is to prepare them for what them or the scholars call a passion prediction. And you need to understand in biblical language, passion is not something that you are passionate about. It's not something that you are adamant about. The word passion comes from the Latin word patera, which means to suffer. And so a passion prediction is a prediction from Jesus about his suffering. And in chapter 16, where we began to read in verse number 21, Jesus for the very first time shares with his disciples how things are about to go down and listen to what he says that the son of man must go to Jerusalem and there I will suffer many things from the scribes from the priests and from the elders and I will be killed but on the third day I will be raised from the dead now this is the very first time Jesus has shared with his disciples the struggles and the suffering and that he is about to endure if it is if he wants them to understand that disciples, that being a disciple or discipleship uh, is not always walking on water, that is not always turning water into wine, that discipleship is not always glitz and glamour and glory, that discipleship is always not miracles and healing. But when you walk faithfully with God, there are going to be some times or other things uh, that you have to deal with, some difficulties that you are not going to like, uh, some experiences that you would rather not go through and all of us have been prepared for the fact that the road of being a disciple will take you through some storms will take you through some struggles will take you through some trials and take you through some hard days and some sleepless nights and some long nights and some burdens you have to carry that this thing is not always about clapping your hands and hollering and shouting in the sanctuary that there are some rough realities you have to deal with as a child of God and as Jesus is explaining some of these rough realities Peter the valedictorian of the class raises his hand once again and this is what he says in the Anthony L. Smith translation he looks at Jesus and he says uh, Jay let me holler at you for a minute 
He pulls Jesus to the side, and the Bible says that Peter now begins to rebuke Jesus and tells him that this is never going to happen to you. Peter tells the Lord, there is no way you are going to suffer and die while I am around. Now, before you slap Peter on the hand, all of us, or allow me to suggest uh, that all of us still have a little Peter inside of us, uh, that we are all right with the bright side of the discipleship but there is something in our spirit that struggles with these difficult days and those hard moments of being a disciple that there is something that just just doesn't sit well when you realize that being a Christian is not always hallelujah and thank you Jesus can I just preach this morning because I like that Christianity that says all things work together for my good I like that faith that says when I pray he hears and he answers I like it when the Bible says that what was meant for my evil he gonna turn it for my good I like that God will cast down my enemy and God will make ways out of no way God will open doors that no man cannot close and open closed doors that no man cannot open that there is the that he hears our faintest cry and answers them by and by I like God that blows sunshine in my face and calls me to have the desires of my heart I like that side of faith but there is something inside of me that struggle when the road of discipleships cause me to experience some things I don't think as a disciple I should have to experience because I come to church too much for that I serve in too many ministries to get that I pay too much tithes to go through that I read my Bible every now and then have you ever been there when you found that the agenda of your life did not match the expectation that you should expect as a disciple of Jesus Christ and you realize Lord this is not what I signed up for Lord this is not what I thought should happen and that when Peter is in you he automatically shows up when you are fighting and frustrating with God what God is doing in your life and then Jesus sees Peter he rebukes him watch what Jesus says look at he looks at Peter and and the one that he now had just called the rock the one that he had given the keys to the kingdom the one that has confessed him as Christ is Lord the one that had gave divine revelation and inspiration the one that he could bind things on earth and God would now bind them in the heaven Jesus says to this Peter that he talked to just a few minutes ago and this is what he said get thee behind me Satan okay y'all too holy for me look he says look at Peter and he tells this same Peter that he just blessed a few verses ago now tells him to get thee behind me Satan let me say it one more time they tell me the third time is a charm he looks at the leader of the church and he tells him to get thee behind me Satan and that's really not nice because that's a verse that you use when your co-workers is pushing you to the edge and you're about to slap them. You know when you're trying to check your co-worker and you tell your co-worker get thee behind me and so Jesus says this is not condemnation but this is the correction of Peter because he wants Peter to understand that there are some difficulties being a disciple that you need to learn right here and right now. That there are some rough realities about being a man or woman of faith that 
that you have to accept that you cannot escape. And beloved God, beloved God have in the church this morning because he wants you to know and wants somebody to know that you have been hoodwinked, you've been bamboozled, you have been run amok into thinking that when you gave your life to Jesus, everything was going to be the way that you wanted to be. But the Lord says, I need you to understand that there are some rough realities, that there are some difficulties that, that you're going to have to accept on this journey, that you just, that are just par for the course when you walk with the Lord. And can I give you three things that are hard to swallow as a disciple that come right here from the text? And if you allow me to preach them, we should be out of here around 4 o'clock this evening. The first one, the first one, the first one is that the longer you walk with God, the more you, the more you serve God, the more that you hold on to God, you will find that there are moments that God's will is not aligned with your wants. You're going to find out that God's wills are not going to be aligned with what you want. That when you are faithful to God, you will find moment after moments on this journey when you want with, with, with what God's will for you is not what you want for yourself. Listen to how Jesus speaks about the death on the cross. He says, I must go to Jerusalem, I must suffer, and I must die. And this word must implies divine imperative that is that is that it is not optional that it is not voluntary this is mandatory this is not what I want but this is what God will and part of the reason Peter rebukes Jesus is because Peter doesn't want Jesus to struggle he doesn't want Jesus to die he doesn't want the Lord to go through all of this so Peter rebukes him because he realized that what you're saying that God will is ultimately what I do not want and I come by to tell somebody that the longer you walk with God you're going to find out that no matter how holy you are, no matter how religious you are, no matter how big your Bible is, no matter how many tongues you speak in no, no matter how long you've been ushering, no long, matter how long you've been singing in the choir, no matter if you can run around the church and flip over pews, no matter how long you've been preaching this gospel, you can carry enough holy oil to fry some chicken but at the end of the day none of that will change the will of God and just because God wills it does not always mean you want it it is a tough thing to come to the realization that what you dreamed of will never be how you thought it was going to go down is not how it's going to happen that what you prayed for God is not going to do and I know it's getting quiet in here because you believe in the sovereignty of God and I know you believe that God's ways are higher than your ways and his will is better than your walker but let's just be honest for a moment it is tough it is tough when you begin to acknowledge that what you want that God will never will because you wanted spring and we still running around in the winter you wanted happily ever after he will saved and single you wanted healed and delivered he will sufficient grace to live with it you wanted mommy he willed it auntie and God mommy you wanted them to live but 
but he will come on home to glory. And it is a tough thing to accept when you begin to realize uh, that no matter how bad you want it, God will not will it. Uh, so watch what Jesus says to Peter as he's rebuking him. Jesus says in verse number 23 that you are an offense to me. And that word offense is used in the original Greek. It is a Greek word called skandalon. Uh, S-K is spelled S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. And it is where we get the word scandal. And the word scandal in the Greek literally means a stumbling block or a rock that is in my way that causes me to stumble. And so here is what Jesus is now saying to Peter. You are a rock that is in my way that is causing me to stumble. Let me say that again, that you are a rock that is in my way that is going to cause me to stumble. And the reason you're still looking at me with that hung look is because you don't remember that a few verses ago Jesus called Peter a rock upon which he would build the church. And now this same rock of strength that you had with the confession, you are now being called an obstacle, that you are now become called a stumbling block in the way of performing the will of God. Because the dangers of religion and Christianity is that it is deceived you into believing that you have the ability to stand in the way and the will of God and that you can control your own life and things can turn out the way you want them to turn out because you went to college, you got your PhD, you done earned your doctorate degree and you are smarter than the average bear. And so Jesus says, I need you to get thee behind me so that you will acknowledge and recognize that you cannot change the will of God. You cannot deliver me from what God has ordained that I have to go through this no matter how bad I want it no matter how much you pray about it no matter how much you fast over it you cannot change the will of God and here is the word of Jesus Peter you can't keep me from going to Calvary because it is God's will and you need to get out of my way and get out of the will of God and stop trying to oppose what God is trying to do because sometimes you have to get out of the way and let God do what God wants to do. I know, I know you don't want to see them struggle. I know you don't want to see them go down. I know you don't want to ever see them pain. I know you don't ever want them to lose anything. But God says sometimes you are standing in the way of my will of what I am trying to do in their life. And you need to get behind me. Uh, mama, you need to get out of their way. Daddy, you need to take, uh, take off the safety wheels and the training wheels you need to stand down and let God have his way if God needs to break them then he's going to break them if God needs to crush them he's going to crush them if God needs to let, let them lose it then he's going to let them lose it but you cannot stop what God is doing and that is a tough word because you just believe with all your prayers and all the scriptures you can change things but one of the most difficult things to accept as a disciple is that sometimes what you want is not what God wills. Can I give you the second one? Because this is not for the faint of heart. This is for the mature folk today. So not only do you have to accept God's will is not always aligned with what you want, but number two, you have to recognize that even the righteous need rebuke. Help me, Lord. 
you need to recognize that even the righteous need to be rebuked. There is no level of sanctification that grants you immunity from godly rebuke. The Lord will rebuke them whom he loves. Let me teach you about this rebuke. Watch what happened. The Bible says that Peter pulls Jesus to the side and the Bible says that he begins to rebuke him. And when you read that in the original Greek and you read that in the correct mood, it literally implies a continual rebuking. That Peter pulls Jesus to the side and he doesn't just say no, but he continues to say no, this is not going to happen. This is not going to go down like this. This is not, I am not going to let this happen, not while you're on my watch. And it is a re continual rebuking of Jesus. And notice how patient Jesus is with Peter. Peter is continually doing what's wrong and the Lord is patient with him. And I I, I, I'm going to pause because somebody you just missed really you just really missed a really good amen right there but allow me to just verify your hearing for the Lord is patient with repeat offenders and you don't have to holler but I'm going to testify by myself that there are some times that I've done wrong again and again and again times that I done messed up time and again and I knew that I was doing wrong I should have done things I know I shouldn't have done and I've done things time and time again and I thank God that his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting I thank God that his patience is from generation to generation and maybe you can't shout on that because you ain't never messed up twice in the same area but on behalf of the rest of us who know that we done messed up time and time again let me just shout myself that God is patient. Is there anybody in here that knows uh, that God done gave you chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance because he is a patient God. Now nudge your neighbor and say he's preaching to me right now. Now the Lord is patient to a point because at a certain point sin has to be addressed. I know some of y'all don't like that kind of preaching because you want me to tell you that money is on your way. But listen, at a certain point, disobedience has to be corrected. At a certain point, unrighteousness has to be dealt with. Because God loves you too much to let you blatantly live outside of the will of God. Now let me show you how good God is. Here is the benefit of being a disciple that when you are wrong, God's first way of getting you right is not painful punishment. That God's first move in turning your life around is not public embarrassment. That God's first strategic move to get you holy is not to cause you to lose everything. Here is what the Lord will do. The Lord will expose you or expose your sin to two or three people that he know he can use. Hear me now. That they will come into your life and give you a word of rebuke that will cause you to repent.
that the Lord will expose your sin to a small group of people that he can trust, that he can use to come to you and bring you godly rebuke that will bring you back to repentance. And here is what the Bible says, and we don't want to preach this. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and 1, if a brother or sister is overtaken in a fault in sin, ye which are spiritual go and approach them that you might restore them back to right relationship with God. Listen, you which are spiritual now, that means something. That means that everybody is not ordained from the Lord to rebuke you. Everybody does not have the assignment from the Lord to speak a word of rebuke. I feel like preaching right now. Let me tell you how you can tell who God has sent from the Lord and who is just being nosy in your business. Because the Lord will use people who are concerned and compassionate about your future based upon their own past experiences. Listen to me. He will send people who are compassionate and concerned about your future based upon their own past experience. That someone who is sent from the Lord will never threaten you. Someone sent from the Lord will never threaten to put you on blast. Someone sent from the Lord will never try to make you lose everything. Someone sent from the Lord will never come to you, uh, come to you out of concern for your future because they know their own pass. Watch this. Let me teach the Bible. That's all I know how to teach. So watch what Jesus says. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, when Jesus says this, he is not calling Peter Satan. Here is what he is doing. He is using the same language here that he used in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. It is the exact same phrase. And what Jesus is saying is that, Peter, I know this is not you because I've been here before. And this is Satan trying to work through you. And since I've been in the wilderness with him, I can identify when there is a demonic spirit that is really not you and so I am speaking to you so that you can understand how the devil is trying to destroy you and if you don't get it here it is the Lord will take people who have been where you are and allow them to speak to you from the wisdom of a wisdom of someone who has wrestled with the same thing that you done wrestled with in your in their past and they will speak a word of rebuke to you and it is based on their concern for your future because they know what it's like because they have been there themselves. You cannot rebuke someone you have never been through. Lord have mercy on me. So the question is simple. Is this do you have the uh, uh, humility to accept and receive rebuke? Because the number one demonic obstacle of receiving godly rebuke is arrogance. And arrogance says, ain't nobody going to talk to me like that. Arrogance says that you got your nerves after everything I know about you. But, what, but that's, what God, that's why God is using them. And you have the nerve to say, how dare you talk to me like that. And isn't it amazing that when God sends one to give you a divine rebuke, oftentimes our first fleshly instinct is to be offended. 
how dare you come at me like this? You need to mind your own business. And the questions become, do you have enough humility to receive rebuke from someone who you deem is not on your level? Who God is using to give you a warning that you are on your way to destruction? Are you humble enough to receive a warning that is hard to accept sometimes that this will is not what you want? It's hard to accept sometimes godly rebuke. And I finally figured out why Peter rebuked him. What would cause Peter to rebuke Jesus? And part of the answer is he does not want Jesus to go away because he's been with Jesus for three years. Every, every, everything he has gone through, I've been with him. We done prayed together. I've been too close to the Savior. I've been doing everything with him. I done watched him do great things. And if he is killed, I won't see him anymore. So what Peter is now feeling is the fear of being distanced from Jesus. But I come by to tell you that one of the difficulties of being a disciple is that every one of us in here will experience some moments in life where you're going to feel like you are distanced from God. Every one of us in here will go through a season in life where you don't feel like God is where you where you need him to be at. God like God is not like you want him to use him. Everybody in here will experience a moment when it seems like praying is not getting the job done. Everybody in here is going to have a moment when you open up your Bible and you read it and you're going to walk away empty handed and you don't want to and you don't need to think that it is strange where you come in on a Sunday morning and you come to church and somebody feels the spirit but you, you don't feel the spirit. Nothing is out of order when the choir sings and your neighbor begins to shout and you don't get it. Everybody in here will experience a moment when anybody other than the pastor is preaching is not helping me. Because we all have moments when we experience in our life that make us feel like we are distanced from God. And that is where Job winds up after everything he lost. If you read chapter 23 when he says, I can't find God. When I look on my left, God is not there. When I look on my right, I don't see him there. When I look ahead of me, he's not there. When I turn around, he's not behind me. That I'm in a place where I just don't feel God like I used to. I don't sense God's spirit like I used to. I don't feel God like I used to. I don't feel him moving in my life like I used to. And that does not mean that something is wrong with your faith because the will of God will take you through some seasons where it seems like God has been removed from you. And so here is what Jesus says to this Peter who is afraid of being distanced from God. He says, Peter, this is what I need you to do. Peter, I need you to get behind me, uh, that I need you to get behind me so that I can go ahead of you and prepare some things for you that will be waiting on you when you get there. Because what you are now uh, sensing as a distance and a separation uh, is nothing more than me preparing something better for you. Uh, and it is not separation, but it's preparation. Uh, I'm trying to get somebody something better in store for you. I wish I had a body 
Bible reader that hung out in John chapter 14 when Jesus says that I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I go there will be you for you and so what you sense as a distancing from God uh, maybe the Lord is just going ahead of you and preparing another place for you and to that place then he calls you uh, and so the reason you feel distant from the Lord is because the Lord has moved ahead of you and you are calling you out on a level that you are not ready to yet to experience uh, that he's calling you out to a level of life that where you are that he is going to prepare for you and I come by to tell you that this problem with Peter has uh, is that he was not listening to Jesus uh, he did not hear what Jesus had to say because Jesus said I'm going to Jerusalem uh, yes I'm going to struggle uh, yes I'm going to suffer yes I'm going to die but I'm going to be raised on the third day and Peter rebukes Jesus uh, because he did not hear the end of what Jesus said uh, that he's going to have some bad days uh, that he's going to be bad for a little while uh, that he's going to have some ups and downs uh, that some people are going to try to kill me <laughs> that they're going to try to take me out <laughs> I need you to look at your neighbor <laughs> and say neighbor <laughs> God said <laughs> that if you hold on just for three days <laughs> a new door is going to open <laughs> a new chapter is going to begin <laughs> a new season will come <laughs> goodbye sanctuary <laughs> may the Lord bless you real good <laughs> but I need you to grab your neighbor <laughs> by the doggone hand <laughs> like you've been born again <laughs> and say neighbor <laughs> I came by to encourage somebody <laughs> who feels like the road of going on <laughs> if the road that you want <laughs> is getting a little rough <laughs> the road that you want <laughs> if you can just hold on <laughs> to God just a little while longer <laughs> that we serve a God <laughs> who proves time and again <laughs> that will his will turns to situation around <laughs> that he does answer your prayers <laughs> that he will open doors <laughs> that he will supply all of your needs <laughs> is there anybody in here <laughs> that has a testimony <laughs> grab your neighbor by the hand <laughs> hold your neighbor's hand <laughs> like you've been born again <laughs> and tell your neighbor <laughs> that he's always turning around <laughs> that he always make it better <laughs> is there anybody in here <laughs> that know the Lord will <laughs> that the Lord will always <laughs> turn it around <laughs> I know it looks bad right now, but if you give God some time, he will turn it around. He will pick you up. He will lift up your head. I like the Bible when it said, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting door, and the King of glory shall come in. Somebody asked the question, who is this King 
of glory. I responded with the Lord strong and mighty. Somebody asked, who is this king of glory? I responded, the Lord strong and mighty. He will lift up your head and encourage your heart. So he tells Peter to get thee behind me because what you want is not God's will. What you desire is not God's will. You prayed all night long, but it's not God's will. You come to church every Sunday, but it's not God's will. You pay your tithes, but it's not God's will. You sing in the choir, but it's not God's will. You usher the people in, but it's not God's will. Grab your neighbor by the doggone hand like you've been born again and say neighbor that sometimes it's not the will of God and, and your want does not equate to God's will that's being a disciple means sometimes that God will is not your want that you are volunteering to humble yourself to open to open to be open to godly rebuke that you reach a point where you recognize that separation from God is only preparation for your next level of living grab your neighbor by the doggone hand just grab him one more time and say neighbor I'm not telling you that discipleship is easy but I'm telling you that it will make your life better when you let the will of God be done in your life when you let the will of God take over your life when you let the will of God be Lord over your life won't he make a way out of no way feel like preaching now is there anybody in here that don't mind telling the Lord you've been good to me you've been kind to me I won't complain I've had some heartaches I had some ups I had some downs but my good days outweigh my bad days I know what what Jeremiah felt like Jeremiah said, I can't do it no more. I won't do it no more. I can't preach the gospel. I won't witness to nobody. But God said it's like fire. Shut up in my bone. Is there anybody that understands this is what discipleship looks like? There are going to be some bad days, but God will make your bad days turn them into good days. God will wipe away your tears. God will lift up your head. God will make a way out of no way. God will. Yes, he 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 will. I know he will. He done it for me. He'll do it for you. Discipleship is not always howdy, howdy, and goodbye. But sometimes you've got to cry. Sometimes you've got to go through 
sometimes you're gonna feel like God is not around but hang on in there hang on in there I know you don't understand it right now but if you hang in there God will make a way hang in there Yes, he will. Yes, he will. I know he will. I know he will. There were some times I felt like I wanted to give up. There was times I felt like I couldn't make it. There was times I felt like I couldn't go on. But God stepped in right on time yes he will discipleship looks like. I'm not promising you your life with God will be easy. But I am telling you that your life without God is impossible. And that you need to get behind the Lord and follow him. You need to receive him as your personal Savior and Lord. You need to belong to a church family because you can't get this sitting at home. One of the greatest misconceptions of the devil is to make you think that as long as you got a Bible that you can sit at home and grow. No, you can't. Because God has ordained prophets and preachers and teachers to watch over you and to feed you with knowledge and understanding. And God has commanded you to belong to the body of Christ, to use your gift alongside other gifts for the edification of the kingdom of God that you need to belong to a church. That when you don't understand it, that you can just still get behind God and follow God. Because this is what discipleship looks like. That you understand that you got to cry sometimes. Sometimes you're going to cry so hard, you're going to cry your eyelashes off. You're going to cry so hard sometimes that
that your face is just going to dry up and look like a white sheet because you cried so much. But Jesus says, I need you to get behind me and just allow me to go ahead. God bless you.